Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Baseball opening day right around on the corner, Bet Online has all the news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your free money. Plus, Signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. BLUEWIRE. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And with that, we welcome you in to another edition of Full Slate. This is a Tuesday morning February the 25th, we are recording just a couple weeks away from the one of my favorite days in sports, Selection Sunday. My name is Greg Frank, at Undercover Greg, joined, as always, by my partners in crime, Bill Christie, at Larry's Locks 2, and our Big East hater, Matt Siegel, at Showtime Caffers. Guys, how are we doing? Doing great. Looking forward to a nice slate tonight on Tuesday night. Uh, woke up to some great news. One of my big free unit plays, Florida A&M. I thought I pushed. Uh, apparently ESPN had the score wrong on their 
on their app, and they ended up winning by six to give us the win. So wow. a really, really nice start to the week. Yeah, I mean, it's a great day for me. Only one Big East game tonight, uh, <laughs> 7 p.m., so easily can skip over that. DePaul and Xavier, I literally want none of that trash. I mean, neither of those teams will even make the tournament. Um, so it, it, it's a great day for me, guys. I don't know about you. Um, yeah, gosh, I pulled off the impressive reverse sweep last night. I only had five picks, um, and I got to say, uh, I think, Matt, you were on both of these as well. Nets and Louisville, I mean, the second halves from both of those teams were just uh, unbelievably bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I went, uh, you know, I went six and five last night, broke a slight profit for just under two units. Uh, but I did have Louisville outright on the money line and second half, and I had Nets on the spread. All three of those were two-unit plays, so huge momentum swing for me. Uh, what would have been an amazing night, I started out 4-0. and You know, I had Sixers first quarter, Heat first quarter, Texas first half, all no-sweat winners. Louisville was looking great, and they just collapsed. It's kind of funny that they collapsed, too, because obviously we always talk about, you know, why do we majority bet home teams? And FSU really just you know, it's a shame that to just think to bet home teams in college basketball and retire, but FSU really showed us what can happen when the home team catches momentum and, and the road team, you know, struggles. The crowd can really get to the road team. And what, they broke off like a 15-0 run and they went about eight minutes without a field without goal? I mean, yeah, at bad. home, that's really hard to do. On the road, we see it a lot more often, boys. Yeah. Definitely Go ahead, Bill. I was just going to say, uh, yeah, in the intro to our podcast here, right, we have that line from Two for the Money with Jeremy Piven, you know, about the betting gods being a fickle bunch. I got a text message here, 8.17 p.m. from our buddy Matt, Louisville exclamation point, looking good. And from that point on, when they were up 11, 18-point swing really quick in Florida State's favor. (laughs) Yeah, our buddy Bill believes in the jinx. I'm not a fan personally. If you want to believe in the jinx, oh, Louisville has it locked up. Didn't say that. Said they looked good. Was just stating a fact. They did really look mm-hmm. good. And then they looked pathetic. However, you know, before we get into some of the mailbag questions, I got to pull it up. I don't remember what the final total was, but the, I mean, the foul count was ridiculous. 23 fouls on, on Louisville. FSU shot 13 more foul shots. Louisville only got 14 foul shots, so they almost shot double the amount of foul shots. I mean, there's your difference in the game right there because everything else was pretty much spot on, 23 fouls versus 16 fouls. The reps called, I think there was about five possessions out of seven where FSU had and one opportunities, and then pretty much that was the game. That was the 15-0 run, and and, 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 and some of those fouls were, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really see them personally. Yeah, I, I was kind of flipping between a couple other games, and uh, it just felt like Florida State was hounding them defensively, and uh, Louisville could not get out of its own way in a certain extent as well. Uh, one other loss that I had last night that just made me pull my hair out, uh, 30 seconds left. I had Oklahoma State first half plus eight and a half, thinking, all right, Kansas off this big win against Baylor. Maybe they'll come in a little slow. Uh, sure enough, Oklahoma State down 10 with 30 seconds left. Kid for Oklahoma State drives baseline, pulls up, 
shoots a jumper about half a second too late, doesn't get it off, it ends up going in, and Oklahoma State gets a stop at the on the other end to go in down 10. Uh, so, you know, an extra half second, and I cover that by the hook. It was just that kind of night. And sometimes I tweeted this, like, we guys, we know this, like, the margin of, uh, of victory and, and defeat can be that slim, you know? Yep. Yeah, always. I mean, that's why, obviously, we talk about sometimes how that half point or one point of movement um, matters or getting in at the best number. But, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And then I always tell myself, you just remember those ones worse than you remember the ones that that happen in your favor. Because I, I believe they even out just the ones that go against you sting worse than the ones that you celebrate feel good, personally. So let's get started. Um, we're going to let Bill lead us off. Obviously, he's a big college basketball guy. I think he said he's got three sides he likes, with a couple more if we have time later. Uh, Bill, what's your first pick? All right, we're going to go to the marquee matchup of the night. We're headed to the Stroh Center in Bowling Green, <laughs> where we're sure the building's going to be at capacity, a full 5,000 strong, to watch the Falcons battle the Zips for the Eastern Division of the Mighty Mid-American Conference. I mean, what else are you going to do tonight? There's other games to watch. Forget about that Toronto and Bucks matchup in the NBA. We're, we're watching Bowling Green, Akron, and there's some really, really obvious trends in Akron's favor here. Akron 8-2 and two against the spread on the road. Bowling Green, Abysmal 1-8-2 and two at home. And Akron blew out, uh, blew out Bowling Green in Akron back on February 11th by 15. Well, I looked at this, and... All this, all this stuff is favoring Akron, and I and I go, all right. Well, I guess Akron might be the play. But the line opened at Akron on a point and a half. That made no sense. Then it dropped to a pick. So, in my opinion, Vegas is telling us there's no way that Akron's going to go into Bowling Green, into the Stroh Center, and get a W. So, I'm going to back Bowling Green. I think they're going to show a ton of spunk and moxie in this one. And they're going to walk away with a W and take the lead in that East Division for the Mid-American Conference. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say here is um, sometimes these, uh, you know, conference games can, these, you know, smaller conference games can provide value because I just think this is where, and we're going to get to this a little bit later in the mailbag, but I think this is where if you kind of, you know, handicap it accurately and you look at some factors like, I think these are the kinds of games that the odds makers have a hard time putting the accurate numbers on. And, um, you know, you mentioned it, uh, Bowling Green, you said, is at the top of the Mid-American standings? Yeah, them and Akron, yeah. Right, and so I think that, uh, you know, this might sound a little square, but I think that this time in these conferences you want to bet the teams towards the top more because they're only going to get one bid. So in the NCAA tournament, that is. So down the stretch they need to do everything they can to secure the best season in the conference. Because remember, these teams play at home, you know, on the campuses in the conference tournament. So I think down the stretch, uh, these teams that are at the top of the conference, like in some leagues you might think, oh, you know, if they're not going to win the regular season title in the Big Ten and they're, you know, in the two to five range, maybe they, you know, take a night off or two to to get ready for the conference tournament. But it's the opposite in these leagues. they got to make sure that they're playing at home. Uh, throughout the conference tournament, and obviously they need need the automatic bid to get in. Yeah, I, I actually have something on this game as well. Um, I do like Bowling Green here. This is a revenge spot uh, for me. 
Akron covered mm-hmm. at home a couple games back. Spread was minus seven when they played uh, in Akron. So what does that tell you? Clearly tells you that, like we were talking about the line, Vegas believes Akron is a better team. Uh, so, however, the the home court advantage here is is obviously in Bowling Green's favor, and that's what's making this line a pick em. Uh, so it's going to be real interesting to see if, you know, the, the the home crowd for Bowling Green can pretty much account with, obviously, some coaching and player adjustments, account for the 14-point deficit that Bowling Green lost um, when when they played at Akron. And, and we see this all the time, right? You know, someone loses by double digits on the road, and then they come home, and then they, and then they win by double digits. So it would be real interesting to see, I think, this game – goes one of two ways, and I think it's a blowout. just depends on which team shows up. However, I like Bowling Green, and I very well might make them a play. Wow. Well, if both of you are on it, maybe I'll have to uh, join the party. Matt, how about you? What's your first pick? Um, So my first pick, I'm actually going a little bit against my grain here, and I'm taking us uh, to North Carolina, and I'm going to a, a, a rivalry matchup. I'm going to maybe a more exciting game. I guess probably would have been a more exciting game maybe like two or three years ago. Um, but UNC is actually god-awful this year. But it, However, at least it's on ESPN, uh, Bill, so people can watch my game at least. <laughs> uh, I, I'm taking North Carolina State on the money line. It, it, and I got them at plus 110, uh, plus 115, I see, plus 110, 115, whatever you got. I don't understand how this line moved a point in UNC favor, nor do I really care. All I see is a UNC team that literally loses in every single way possible. They get blown out on the road. They get blown out at home. They lose a close game at home. They lose a close game on the road. I, I, it just doesn't really matter. Um, they have a dude by the name of Cole Anthony. Yeah, I'm dropping a player's name for once. And a dude. I, I saw this. I saw this man literally shoot from like the logo, like last game, and they were playing. I mean, I understand they were down like 15, but UNC is just a train wreck right now. Like they don't care. This dude Cole Anthony just wants to get the hell out of there without getting hurt, so he could get drafted. Roy Williams just wants all these players probably deported or or, or maybe sickened with the coronavirus or something. I, I don't know. He can't put up with this team anymore. They're 10 and 17. They're pathetic. NC State is on the bubble at 17 and 10 here. You know, dropping two of their last three. Obviously, we understand they lost to a very good FSU team, and we know they're very good after that comeback win against Louisville last night. That was very impressive. So that's, you know, what I would say a good loss is. But you just can't drop three out of four, even though that one win was Duke. But they need a right to ship here, right? So if NC State, you know, can pull off this win here, I'm not going to say that solidifies them for the tournament, but then they're coming home and they play Pitt, and then they're playing Wake Forest at home the last game of the season, and then they have a game at Duke where, I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to win that game, but obviously if they were to pull off the road victory at Duke, that solidifies them. But I still think if they can go 3-4 and and drop that game at Duke, Obviously, that means they split the series with Duke. You know, make some noise in the in the ACC tournament. That they, you know, then they're going to guarantee themselves a spot. But it starts tonight, and they went on the road here. Uh, yeah, I, I, go ahead, Bill. Go ahead, Greg. Uh, I was going to say I, I'm probably not going to put a play on this, and and pretty much for all the reasons you just said, Matt. Right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why yeah. why is Carolina favored 
Why did the Lions? Two and move? ten is a home favorite, by the way. So I'm not even. Tr- I'll trust yeah, Vegas. Yeah. But with UNC, they haven't gotten it right all year. Two and ten is a home favorite. I'll fade that. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, look, it could it could just be again that blue blood name of North Carolina. Vegas doesn't care because you know people are going to take them. I I just I just don't I don't know. I mean, these kids that are in Carolina playing for them. I know they've had a terrible year. You mentioned Cole Anthony and Greg Anthony's son. I mean, he, he, he's got some pride to him, too. I know he's frustrated, but at the end of the day, like, they, they're they still Division One top Division One players. Like, I feel like this is a game where it's either going to be they're going to come out and take this as their in-state rival and take it serious and, and really beat up on NC State and take this as, like, you know, their national championship in a way because, like you had said, NC State's trying to make this push for the tournament. It's either that's going to happen, or they're just going to lay down. And NC State's going to just wax them. So yeah, I, I can't. I, I personally, I, I just got a one liner in there. I, I really see, uh, uh, you know, a hurting uh, UNC team on the on the ground with a broken arm and a broken leg, and NC State smells blood in the water. Right. Yeah. And again, if that line if that line was NC State favored by a couple points, I feel like I'd probably be more apt to make that play. As odd as that sounds. On yeah, I agree. But the fact that it's it's UNC only a couple. Look, they've lost their last. Five games, I'm looking at here. They lost. They got smoked by Louisville. They had a tough game against ND. They had a tough game against Virginia. They got smoked not a by typical Lee play for me for sure. But this is yeah. This, so this, this I mean, Vegas I'm, giving you money. Don't overthink I'm, this one. All right, I'll, I'll I'll sit back and, and root for you. But yeah, I, I'm not going to be making a play at all in this one. I yeah, I I can't get there either. This was one of the weirdest lines of the night. And normally, I just pass those games. Um, you know, Bill mentions all the recent losing for. North Carolina, I think there's a good argument to be made here that, you know, you think about the history of these two schools, and uh, obviously in our lifetimes, uh, North Carolina dominated. And so you could uh, you could certainly make the argument that this is circle the wagons, you know, rally the troops, don't lose to your in-state rival, because at least we could say we did that for North Carolina. So that in and of itself is enough. for, And we already saw North Carolina uh, back earlier in February uh, against Duke, kind of do that same thing, and that was his seven and a half point dog. Nearly won the game outright. Should have won the game outright. Really let that game slip away. So I do think that there's some, uh, you know, school pride and and state pride that's on the line here for the Tar Heels, which maybe explains this. But it, ultimately, it's just such a weird line that I, you know, I don't like to just think it's free, like Matt said. So I, I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm not taking North Carolina because ultimately they have just been. A, a train wreck this year, but um, I just I just can't get there with NC State. Yeah, when NC State's up by like ten points, I'll be sure to send Matt a text and say NC State looking good. <laughs> um, I'm gonna move forward now and go to the Big Ten with uh, one of the bigger games of the night. Um, and this definitely feels like a little bit of a square dog, but I can't hesitate on uh, Iowa plus eight and a half at the Breslin Center against Michigan State. Um, I just can't get behind Michigan State giving this many points. And we've seen the there really hasn't been a discount on Michigan State all season, despite the fact that the Spartans have obviously underachieved. I think at the end of the year, you know, we might be talking about Michigan State, say they're on the five or six seed line and, uh, you know, they don't get to the Sweet 16. I think we're talking about Michigan State not only as one of the biggest disappointments of the uh, season, but perhaps, you know, in, in, in recent memory in college basketball, because this is a team that obviously had everybody back from a Final Four team. And I just think at what point do we say it's not going to happen this year? 
Iowa has been a better team. We're getting eight and a half points. Michigan State in its last game straight up four and four. In its last ten games straight up five and five. In its last twelve games straight up six and six. It's been that kind of year for the Spartans. They get some momentum, they give it right back. They get some momentum, they give it right back. In those twelve games that they're six and six straight up in, five and seven against the spread. Iowa, conversely, in its last twelve, nine and three and seven, three and two against the spread. Uh, they're just simply the better team, and I can't get behind Michigan State, as I said, laying this many points. I, they aren't the Michigan State team everybody thought they were going to be, but the point spreads are kind of telling you that they are. So that's why I think the mispricing is here. Uh, as I said, it feels like a little bit of a square dog because Iowa is ahead of Michigan State in the poll, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and take the 8.5. I'm, I'm going to go opposite, Fred, uh, to be honest. Like, Again, kind of for those reasons you were saying, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, I looked at this game a lot last night and then again this morning. And I'm like, same thing as you. Like, why is this line so high? You know, it should be a lot lower than this. Iowa's a strong team. I mean, can Michigan State really stop the inside scoring of Iowa? I, I don't know. And then I started to dig a little deep into it. And I looked at, you know, you mentioned how many points they're given, right? Well, the Hawkeyes, they're 2-8 and eight against the spread their last 10 as a road dog between 7 and 12 and a half points. You flip on the other side, the Spartans, they're 11 and 3 against the spread of the last 14 as a home favorite between 7 and 12 and a half. So it almost, as odd as it seems, like they're comfortable in that range. When Vegas puts it out like that, it's like they're almost trying to tell you something. And again, it makes no sense. Michigan State just lost back to back home games, right? They lost to Maryland, they lost to Penn State, and Iowa just won their last road game at Minnesota. So it, it doesn't make sense to me. I, if I'm going to make a play, also, I'm you know, Ohio I'm State have, pretty comfortably on Thursday. Right. So, I mean, I, if I'm going to play this, and I'm not sure if I'm going to play it yet. I'm going to be honest, I'm thinking about, I think, is it this kind of a game, we talked about this last week, where, you know, if you like Iowa, do you look at the money line a little bit, thinking, like, they're either going to win the game or just get killed? Yeah, potentially. And you mentioned all that stuff. Like, look, we were all had high hopes for Michigan State. But, I mean, personally, I feel like we say that almost every other year, right? Like, they have all these great players coming back, or they have incoming freshmen that look really good, and they take some really, really bad early losses, and people start to write them off. And then all of a sudden, right before March, Izzo gets that hot tag, it's March time, and he marches these guys right through to the Final Four. Yeah, but Phil, like, what about Michigan State now suggests that they have that hot, like, a win against Nebraska? Like... Well, let me just chime in here for a second. <clears throat> you know, I understand that this is early January, and now we're sitting, um, you know, towards the end of February. But we've seen Michigan State cover in this spot multiple times this year. Minus ten at home against well, Illinois. They won said. by twenty. Yeah. Minus said, nine. Say it again. Bill, well, Bill said that he said in as a favorite of seven to thirteen points. There, what was the record? Eleven and three the last fourteen. Grant, that's probably going to last year, but. So I'm just bringing it back to last month. Three straight games at home against Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota. Win all the games by 20 points. At home, they they cover 9.5. They win by 12 against Wisconsin. Uh, So they've covered at home in this spot every single time they've played in this spot. Except for, like you said, Greg, the two times where they were similar points, and they ended up losing that game outright. Right. They lost outright to a Penn State team. And I, I want to put a waiver on that Penn State game. I just think that was personally a signature win by Penn State. And I think 
every team in college basketball has at least a couple of those signature wins that realistically, if they played that game another 20 times or whatnot, they might only win it one time. But somehow in that, in that day or whatever, they had the magic to get that big road win that boosts their resume. Because everyone knows, you know, everyone in college basketball can win on home. What defines the great teams are the teams like, you know, Baylor and Kansas. When you go on the road and you win those games, because that is what's tough in, in college basketball. So I'm not going to give Michigan State a pass, but I just think that was a that was a that was a play up game against Penn State. If they played that game another ten times, I think Michigan State probably wins and covers that game nine times. Maybe I'm biased because I was on Michigan State. But however, I, I, I this is a game where I would lean to trust the bookmakers here. All right, let's keep things moving then. Uh, Matt, let's go back to you for another college basketball pick. Yeah, so I have a play that, again, you know, I, we, it's, it's, it's very ironic because we spoke about the reverse line movement last week, and so I'm going a second play against reverse line movement. And frankly, it hurts me because they're an 11-16 and 16 team, Iowa State. Um, give me them on the first half, minus a half, and, and give me Iowa State, frankly, minus two and a half for the full game. Texas, TCU, Texas Christian is a pathetic 0-7 as road dogs this year. Um, They don't show up on the road. Very simple. Iowa State flipped the script 9-3 this season as home favorites. Um, I understand a point has moved the opposite way. In my mind, both of these teams are, I mean, obviously Iowa State's done. I don't see how TCU can really, you know, get in. I know they had a big win against West Virginia, but now that West Virginia win is not, you know, really looking as good as it as as West Virginia stinks. They stink. Uh, I don't think they stink. They're they I think stink. they're a surprising tournament team. They play very hard um and they defend. That's a that's a surprise team that can surprise you in the tournament, but they're definitely not as good as we thought they were. However, I mean TCU does play at home against Baylor and at Kansas. So who am I to say they can't make the tournament if they go two and in those games? But I think we can both agree they're not beating no. Baylor and Kansas in back to back games. I mean Owen Owen seven on the road against the spread, losing by an average of twenty two points on the cover. I mean I, I just really can't go against that. If TCU comes out and 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 wins a, a road game here, I mean, hats off to them, but I can't go against the numbers here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, Matt, I look at this one a lot, too. I, I don't know if I'm going to make a play on it or get not or, or not. I don't know. I mean, we mentioned before a couple weeks ago when Halliburton went out, right? And we were like, you know, it's going to be curious to see how the rest of the players respond for Iowa State. If they're going to all step up their game. And, you know, it looked like that that's what they were starting to do. And then they went to Fog Allen and got murdered by Kansas, like most people do. And then you're like, all right, well, they're going to come home. They got Texas Tech at home. You know, they should show up for that game. And they lose by 30. Like, I don't know if I can play Iowa State in the state that they're in right now. And, again, TCU, again, I am I am not a believer in West Virginia at all. I can't stand watching them play. It's like watching paint dry. Um, you know, and TCU did, did get that win. Um, so I, I don't know. I, yeah, but wouldn't you say that them. Texas Tech, obviously, and Kansas are tremendously better teams than TCU? Because I understand a 30-point loss is obviously pathetic, but, mm-hmm. you know, you take it back to their other two 
their previous two home games, they win by 29 at home against Texas, and they mm-hmm. win by 10 at home against Kansas State. And I would say that Texas and Kansas State are obviously more comparable teams to TCU. Not that Texas Tech is 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 that good, but I mean they are 18 and 9, a ranked team. You know, they're definitely better than TCU, Texas, and Kansas State. I think we can all agree there. No. Yeah, I agree. So I, I, I'm not going to say I'm giving them a pass and losing at home by 30 to Texas Tech, but sometimes in games where you're just unmatched, you know, games do just unravel. So remember, a loss by 30 or a loss by two, a loss is still a loss. You're out of the big dance if that happens. So I, I think this is more of a forget that game, move on, let's win here. Yeah, I don't have a ton here other than, like, I hear what you're saying about TCU and, like, how bad they are, but I, I, I just wonder about the form of Iowa State, uh, you know, down the stretch. Um, just kind of feels like, like it almost, like if TCU is this bad, then two dozen, two and a half just almost just feel a little weird. Like, I, I don't know, like perhaps what we're saying about Iowa State is, well, they're not that good either, and, and therefore we kind of have two teams that are – not really headed in in a positive direction here. I, it's a, it's a tricky one for me to really pick a side in because like, what about Iowa State, Matt? Like, what is it that you see in them that makes you think, or, or is this more of an, a, a TCU fade? I, I I mean, like I said, it's pretty hard to go against the numbers, right? I mean, TCU is zero and seven against the number on the road. I mean, sure, if this once if this is going to be the the singular game that they win and cut because I yo obviously uh, uh, I think we can agree you know unless they unless they end up losing this game by two the, the most likely odds are that they're gonna win this game if they mm-hmm. cover I, you know I I don't really I don't see a reason to go against the numbers here Iowa State like I said nine and three at home and I'm gonna give them a slight pass on on a, on a poor performance at Texas Tech so coming into that Texas Tech game they were nine and two so numbers would say that then they should turn it around yeah, yeah, but, and win at home here. No, I'm with you, but again, a lot of the none of those games, those wins, they had Halliburton. They're just uh, right, team right like now. Their best them. player, I, like that's what I mentioned uh, like a pot or two ago, and it's just like for an Iowa State team that, I mean, let's let's face it, like they weren't great with him, like they were okay, no. you know. Mm-hmm. And now he goes out, like I I get it if you think TCU's just that bad, sure, but. Uh, I just don't have a good feel for Iowa State right now to want to want to bet them either. So right. I, I mean, mean Halbert was their I mean, leading scorer, leading they, assist they play guy, play and leading steals guy. It's like it's a lot they lost. So I mean, uh, I'm with you, Matt. Number the numbers the numbers are screaming for yeah. You like if you stuck out of my head, I would probably take Iowa State, but yeah, it's probably a pass for me. I mean, like, look, yep. he didn't play against Texas. They won by thirty. Uh, he didn't do anything against Kansas State. He had nine points. He had nine points, yeah, but and they you, won by he, ten. So yeah, but yeah, he might have only nine points. But how much did they, you know, exert their effort defensively in order minutes. to shut him down? He only played you know what I mean? Like minutes. that's the other thing. It's a big part when a player like that's out for for a team like this. It's it's a lot. But again, I'm not I'm not going to play the other side. I wish you the best of luck. But yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be like Reagan, make a pass. I want to take us to uh, the conference that I am a bit of an apologist for for my next pick, and that's the American. Uh, I am going to go to the great uh, state of Texas and take the SMU Mustangs minus four at home against the Memphis Tigers. Greg, I'm on uh, that first half before you even get into it. I'm just letting you know. You're on SMU first half. Okay. I think I for a max play. I love it. We'll, we'll have to hear yeah. it. Well, maybe I'll go ahead and stack them then. 
Um, so I don't think that this is probably as well known as it should be, but Mooney Coliseum in Dallas is actually a really sneaky good home court. Uh, I looked back, uh, obviously Larry Brown, uh, before Tim Yankovic took over there, Larry Brown was the coach and, and he kind of got the program going in the right direction. Nick Moore won conference player of the year a couple of years. They had uh, Shake Milton back then too, right? Right. I believe, he, yeah, I think, right. did Moore and Milton overlap or maybe did Milton? I think they might have a year, yeah. Uh, okay. But I know Nick Moore, at least, I think he won the conference player of the year back to back years. He definitely won it once. And, and that was kind of when they started to, uh, you know, get going. Uh, and become a, a you know a, at least a top five American conference team and and they made the tournament a couple times. So anyway, I went back to 2013-2014, which was actually the season that SMU had a postseason ban, but they went 27 and 10 in the regular season and uh, and conference tournament. I think they played it. I actually don't remember if they played in the conference tournament or not. But nonetheless, 27 and 10 for the season. I went back to that season. Since then, in home games, SMU 58-41 and four against the spread, which is almost 60%. Uh, this season, SMU is 14-1 and one straight up at home. Now, they're only 8-6-1 against the spread at home, but three of those ATS losses, well, first off, that's almost 60% too, 8-6-1. And secondly, three of those ATS losses were like early season games against non-conference teams where they were like 20-point favorites. Um, only two of the six ATS losses for... SMU at home have been in 2020, and they were both by the hook. They won by seven as the seven seven and a half point chalk against South Florida, and they won by four and a half. They won by four as four and a half point chalk against Connecticut. So I'm getting four here, uh, and and as I said, like the other losses were as a huge favorites against the spread, and also kind of like I mentioned with Michigan State, like Memphis has been a pretty big disappointment this year. And it's kind of been two steps forward, one step back from Memphis. And what did Memphis do in its last game? They just pulled off probably its best win of the season, beating uh, Houston. So I kind of think that narrative about the Tigers continues. Two steps forward, one step back. SMU probably isn't an NCAA tournament team, but I think uh, you know they're going to make some strides here. And if you're talking about a big stealer in the American, it could be the Mustangs. I like the Ponies at home minus the points and – uh, I think that whole Memphis two steps forward, one steps back thing off the win against Houston would also lend itself towards SMU in the first half, like Matt is on. So I like SMU a good bit tonight. Greg, I mean, I, I, I personally, I'm not playing SMU full game, um, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't mind it. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm playing first half. I just prefer um, to play these teams in the first half. Obviously, we've heard my reasonings why. You know, if I end up not getting the first half, obviously I can I can play a second half chase play, um, but I don't expect that to be the case here. SMU first half minus two. Uh, Memphis has a minus four point two margin of victory on the road in the first half, um, and you flip the script to SMU plus six point two at home in the first half. Uh, Memphis is coming off of a very dramatic uh, home win against Houston. SMU coming off of back-to-back road losses, coming at home. They need this win to right the ship, and they're going to get it. I'm with you, Matt. Same, same, same thing you said, right? Memphis minus 4.2 in the first half. That's a 15-point swing because they're like 
what, like nine something, I think, when they're at home. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all on board. Plus for, eleven, for yeah, fifteen yeah. points. Yeah. Strength, so. Yeah, so yeah, I'm definitely going to be going SMU first half. You know, I, I kind of lean SMU full game now because I really didn't dig as deep as Greg did on some of those numbers where you know a half point came into play and stuff. And then the other thing we've mentioned before, and we'll talk. I want to talk about it again. Reverse line movement. Not a ton of public on Memphis, only about fifty five percent. But we already saw that line go from three, right, um, to four. And so I, I booked this at four overnight, and and Bill, like I said, with the those two uh, hook ATS losses uh, to South Florida and UConn. Like, um, let's not forget. Like as I mentioned, SMU the straight up record at home, fourteen and one this year. Yeah. So I, I think if you can get this at four, like uh, I, I don't know if you can or not now, but I still think the number is short enough where uh, the 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 spread probably won't be a factor here, and we don't get a Memphis cover, but an SMU outright win. Right, and SMU's first half numbers aren't inflated, right? Like their last couple, they were up six against UConn, they're up eleven against uh, Houston. It's not like we saw, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the thirty point, you know, twenty points in the first half against those like low level non conference opponents in the beginning. that kind of inflate those numbers, so that number seems true. I'm definitely going to be playing SMU first half. Okay, let's keep things moving. Uh, let's get back to Bill for another pick. All right, I want to stick with our first half plays here. Um, and I'm going to be looking at this Ole Miss Auburn game. Before I even say it, Matt, where do you think I'm at? Ole Miss against I mean, Auburn. By you Auburn. asking me that question, you're going to be on <laughs> Ole Miss, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, well, Auburn's a notoriously slow starting team, right? Like their last home game, they're down eight to Tennessee. Before that, they were up only three to a bad Alabama team. They were down 12 to LSU. They were I've, down one to. I, I need to chime in for a quick second. I've spoken about this multiple times. All you're speaking of. You're 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 de- you're defining one of my final four teams right here. No, this I'm is, with you. This and, is a and, final and four team. The way they I'm, win, I'm the way they come you. back, their guards. Exactly. I'm all in on Auburn. I, all in. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. But again, I'm not playing Ole Miss full game, right? I'm just saying Ole Miss first half, four and a half, because like I was about to say, Auburn turned around all those games. I mean, bam, they were up, but the rest of those games they came back and won. Bruce Pearl, in my opinion, is well, top hold five, on. Top I want to bu- yeah. I want to just jump in a minute. You guys think that, like, regularly getting behind, like, is a characteristic to make the Final Four? Not so much that going behind, right, but they come back and win. If they were falling behind all the time and, like, you know, they come back here and there and get wins, this team consistently comes back, does what it takes, they grind out every single game. I don't know how many games they have in overtime. Like, I was just going to say, Bruce Pearl is, like, the ultimate motivator. For some reason, these guys don't come out motivating the first half. I know They won the great. second half 40-25. to 25. If it, you win the it, second half by 15 points, you're winning – Three, four games in the tournament every yeah, time. But, every but year. I know what Greg's saying. Like they, if they if they get it again, and I'd say this all yeah, the time. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like you're not ups. playing all like the tournament. Like you're playing tournament teams every year. Right. Like well, you're looking yeah. at their regular season numbers and trying to say that that's going to be why they go make a long tournament run. But like not all their regular season games are against tournament teams. They pull out the close games too, which is also even more. Re- forget if you don't like the comeback thing. Sure, they pull out the close games. One point win at uh, home against LSU. Three point win at Arkansas. They've had like what three overtime wins. They've played close games. They've played the crunch yeah. time. They've played the quote unquote tournament <clears throat> style games. They've had five or six or seven of them in the regular season. I just think that they've played tournament games. They have the experience. If you don't like the comeback thing, because you know I, I can I can see that, but you gotta like the fact that they pull out these close wins and they have. 
they have leadership yeah, and they have guard play, and that's you what you mentioned. Arkansas, like Arkansas, is five and nine in the SEC. Like the fact that they're only winning that game by three, like that tells me that something's yeah. not going. They, they yeah, but blowing them out. Yeah, but like like Matt said before, right? Like you win by forty, you win by two. Wins a win, right? It doesn't yeah, matter. Tournament doesn't matter. I understand that, but when we're trying to evaluate how good these teams are, you guys don't agree that if you're just getting by the skin of your no, team. you win a road game in, in conference play. I, I I don't really care unless it's unless it's a bottom team, like a bottom feeder. Arkansas is not a bottom feeder, right? They're not they're not an awful team, but you know Arkansas is seventeen and ten. I mean, they have a shot at making the tournament as well potentially. I, I I don't consider them a bottom feeder. Now you tell me Auburn had to do this against Vanderbilt. Okay, they're nine and eighteen. I mean they're pathetic. The SEC, every team is, is solid there. You go on the road. That's a tough the game. SEC. The SEC is not a ten bid league. No. Uh, they, they can make a run, and you know when they have these conference tournaments, they can make a run in the conference tournament and play themselves into it. And, and, and as we talk about, you know, I don't know exactly who Arkansas has remaining on their schedule. I, I mean, there are four games left. They, you know, they they're they're at they don't have many games. I just checked. They have at home against LSU, um, but they do have uh, two row games. Look, Arkansas is not a great team. I mean, you're right, but they're not a bad team. And they were favored in that game. So whether we like it or not, Vegas had Arkansas as the favorite to win that game. And Auburn went on the road and won in overtime. That's impressive in my book. Yeah, again, I, Greg, I can, I can see your side, right? Like in the tournament, depending on what the matchups are, they come in against a team that likes to shoot the ball from deep and get down a big hole early. And they're not able to crawl back because the team just keeps dropping through here and like, there. The the day, day. I get it. At the end of the day, there is an element of survive and advance to this. Like, Auburn went to the Final Four last year and almost probably should have lost to New Mexico State in the first round of a 5-12 right. team. The kid from New Mexico State had a wide-open look, missed it, and then Auburn all of a sudden looks like a totally different team. They blow out Kansas, they blow out North Carolina, and... Uh, Give me that lady luck this year, then. So, <laughs> uh, perhaps they look more like that team later on, but all I'm saying is if you, you know, skate by, skate by, skate by like that, Eventually, I just think maybe you're a little phony. Which no, is- I'm, it could it could totally be. Let me get back real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Later this game, I know we've been talking a lot about Arkansas, like Nolan Richardson's coming back or something like that. So Auburn again, notoriously slow out of the gate. I have no indication that tells me Auburn's going to miraculously decide they're going to dominate the first half. Like I was going to say, Bruce Pearl, in my opinion, top ten coach in the country. You'd think he would be able to motivate these guys enough, saying, "Hey, we can't afford." Like Greg was saying, we can't afford to keep get, digging ourselves in these holes in the first half. So you'd figure by now, you know, we're in late February. They would have figured it out. They haven't. All right? So in my opinion, I'm going Ole Miss plus four and a half. And, I've, you know, I look at the numbers just like Matt does in the first half. And when you look at the home and road splits for the first half for this game, you have Auburn plus 6.3 and Mississippi minus 7.8. So when you're looking at that, you're like, well, why wouldn't I take Auburn, you know, given a couple of those points? But those numbers for Auburn are enormously inflated. Back in November, they were up 28 against the Cal State Northridge team, 32 against Colgate. In December, they were up 15 against Lipscomb. And then you go the other way, Ole Miss, they were down 19 in November to an Oak State team on the road, down 16 to Penn State in November, down 15 to Wichita State in early January. They're different teams now. So those numbers, are as, as big a margin difference that is, now coming late February, getting four and a half against a team who does not come out of the gate well at all. I think Auburn's still probably going to win the game. I'm not going to play the full game. I don't trust Mississippi going the full way, but I'm going to take Mississippi plus four and a half, first half for sure. 
Yeah, I like this, uh, and I'm actually going to take this um, for a lot yeah. of the reasons that you just said. Like, and and like you said, Bill, like a lot of those, uh, like sometimes if you dig a little deeper into an average, you do realize that it can be a little misleading with how how they arrived on that number. So uh, I like this just mainly because, as we said, Auburn's been playing a lot of close games, and if Ole Miss is going to be in this game, uh, it's not the type where they're going to be down 15 uh, in Auburn and come back to make it close. So I think they'd have to at least keep up for half. Let me get in here, and I got to tell you, you guys have an awfully wrong opinion of this game. Love it. Um, You guys are both going to be very wrong. This is a statement game for Auburn. They travel to Lexington, Kentucky next game, and this is a get-right game right. here. Yeah, so they're, are going to, no. they're going to use Ole Miss as a practice squad. They're going to no run way. them out of the gym here. They're going to cover the four-and-a-half on the first half. Like you said, numbers are a bit skewed. Auburn hasn't covered a first half in the month of November. Didn't at home. They're 0-4 in their last four. That's against Tennessee, Bama, LSU, and Kentucky. They're not going to go... Five straight games without covering a first half. We are going to get a little law of averages here. They will cover this first half. And what better way to do it other than a minus four and a half, which was the last first half number they covered last month, exactly one month ago to the day against Iowa State. If that's not numbers speaking to you, then I don't know what is. Give me Auburn minus four and a half for a max play. Oh, all right. Wow. Uh, for For the reason you just said, though, too, right? They have Kentucky next. And we've talked about how this Auburn team, they seem like they don't have their heads on right coming out of the gate in the first half. What do you think that they're all looking forward to? Do you think they're looking forward to playing the Run Rebels and Ole Miss? Absolutely not. They can give a shit about this game coming up tonight. They're looking at Kentucky. They're figuring out how they're going to play in that game. Their heads aren't going to be there. Ole Miss is going to walk into Auburn. They're going to be – I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if Ole Miss is up at the half. Forget the four and a half. They must be up on Auburn at the half. Yeah, no, I I think it's yeah. the same thing. Like these are college kids. Like, and Bill, I'm glad you mentioned that because I know it's in one of my previous handicaps. I missed this, but on the Michigan State Iowa game, Michigan State's next game, and it's yeah. a big game tonight against Iowa. But they are at College Park against Maryland on College Game Day. So I think, dude, that look ahead element I think is even more relevant in college athletics when you got the minds of these kids playing on the biggest stage of their lives, like against a blue blood, blue blood program like Kentucky. Absolutely. It's, it, let's just talk about it. There, there's, there's not much of a look ahead factor. We spoke about why look ahead is way more important in college football and, and what the look ahead factor really is, right? The look ahead factor is really when you have in Alabama, that's minus 42 points. And then they're playing a Georgia next week, right? They're going to bench their starters. They're going to take it easy in the second half. They're not going to cover the 42. In basketball, it's very different, right? You can be up 15 points. You're not benching your starters until the last couple minutes of the game. There's no look ahead. Yeah, but we're not talking about um, we're not talking about Auburn getting up. We're saying they're going to start slow because their minds aren't fully focused. Right. And, and I and just don't see that. Because... Against Kentucky is their only tough game left. Right. And you and Matt, you've even been the one that's preached about, you know, wanting to make that really nice run at the end going into the conference tournament because the seeding matters, right? Auburn's not a bubble team. They're in a tournament for sure. But, but you know what they, they do know right now? You know what they do know? Yeah. That win 15. at Kentucky this Saturday means a hell of a lot less if they drop this game at home to Ole Miss. So they gotta get not the job really done though. here. And like yeah. you said, this is a Bruce Pearl. What the hell are we doing? Play in the first half, they'll be up by twelve or more at half. He'll be, he'll be screaming at him at the, at the halftime speech. Don't worry. He'll be soaked in sweat in that sports jacket. 
He'll be cursing him and out. You know what? Telling everybody how he's getting fired, case, how he's talking. Hats off to you, and I'll take my free money in the second half because that's going to just be an easy play because there's no way in hell they're losing this game. That's for damn sure. Oh, boy. Wow. Oh, boy. Wow. A lot, a lot of confidence there. Let's keep things moving. Three legable parlay, Auburn is. Matt, let's move on. Uh, and what's your next play as we got to kind of hit the home stretch here? I'm taking us to the professional leagues. What I say is the game of the night, marquee matchup, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, TNT. We are taking our talents to Toronto, the Air Canada Center. Yeah, you like how I dropped that arena. I know you guys did. <laughs> Toronto's going to win this game against Milwaukee. I understand Milwaukee has been an absolute... <laughs> the, best, the best part about that is the building's not called Air Canada Center. <laughs> whatever. Whatever it's called. The, the, oh, the Air man. Canada Century, this is what I have on one of these apps. I don't really care what it's called. Toronto's going to win this game. Milwaukee has been a freight train. I really understand that. I believe Bill told me before they got before I got on here that they were like 7-0 and and back-to-backs or something. Yep. I said, Bill, you know, I didn't even know that. I don't care. All I can tell you is I'm sure that they haven't played a team as good as Toronto on a back-to-back. Secondly, they also played overtime last night. You know, I'm not going to say these are now, now fatigue. People factor in fatigue. I really don't too much. These are some of the best athletes in the world, if not the best athletes in the world. Now, let me tell you. I mean, they get fatigue, sure, but I don't factor it in that much. Like this is what they do for a living professionally, right? They're going to be sore, but it's a basketball game. It's competitive. They're going to be playing hard out there. So this line is definitely accurate. A one-point line here. I just I just like the, the, the home crowd of Toronto. When they have these big games, that stadium is absolutely rocking. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And, and Toronto, you know, don't throw any shade on them. They've been a great team. They're coming off of a, 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 almost a 50-point blowout win at home against the Pacers. Um, we understand they had a 15-game winning streak before they lost that one game against the Nets. This is a big-time game for both teams. They're going to take it real seriously because this is a real Eastern Conference Finals preview. With the Sixers, you know, being very shaky, a Ben Simmons injury now, they're an interesting team. We've seen the Celtics obviously compete, and Jason Tatum's really stepping up to the plate. But, you know, I think the Bucks and the Raptors, I mean, the Bucks obviously, and I think the Raptors have kind of really separated themselves as the clear one and two in the East. We've really always talked about in the East how, how it's how there's competition. Um, the Heat have kind of fallen back a little bit, and I think we always knew that that would happen, being that they only have one true star. But it's kind of ironic because the Raptors really only have one true star here as well. Now, the Bucks kind of more so used to be, or not used to, had the one true star. I think Chris Middleton has now really, you know, woken up the world and the rest of the, the NBA um, to 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 elevate themselves, to elevate himself, excuse me, as, as a superstar in the NBA. Um, but I really think the Raptors here at home with that crowd, I really think they get it done. This is a big game. They step yeah, up tonight. I like this. Uh, they are, uh, you know, it is a good home crowd. And, uh, you know, I, I think that they kind of like to, you know, send a message here that the gap isn't that wide between the Bucks and the rest of the East. Uh, so I like that play. Uh, if you guys don't mind, I want to keep things moving so that we can get to the mailbag question. Let's do it. Uh, just lastly, a very quickly, one unit, one quarter, first quarter play for me in the NBA. I like the Nuggets tonight, 
minus four and a half against Detroit. Very simply put, Nuggets lost in the Motor City earlier in February. And what was a little bit of a sandwich spot? They had Milwaukee before and then a playoff rematch with Portland after. Uh, so I think the Nuggets uh, are going to get off to a quick start. I like that minus four and a half against those very Detroit Pistons. But let's move right, on. Catch up, catch up in real quick just for one last play, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Fire okay. away. I'm just going to give you a real, question, real quick question for you guys. 18 and 19 on the road against a 13 and 14. Where do you think the spread is? Pick them. 14 team? Pick them. 18 and 9 versus a 13 and 14. Pick them. Minus two at home. Uh, I'll say 18 and 19 team is – or 18 and 9 team is a three-point favorite. Yeah, it, it's it's the opposite. We got Ohio minus one as thirteen fourteen at home I against said two Buffalo. and a pick 'em. Wow, right you're in the middle. Right, there we go. You're right there, Matt, and that, and that's why I think Ohio is a smart play at home. It's a revenge game. Um, Buffalo won by three back January fourteenth at home. Uh, line makes no sense. So if you're going to play I mean, I this game, it's another marquee in, matchup. Me in right it's another there. marquee matchup. I know everybody's going to be tuning into Ohio Buffalo, but like Greg mentioned before, all tickets cash the same. So Ohio minus one, book it. Uh, again, I'm going to go with the numbers. You know, I, I guess pick them minus two, lands right in the middle, minus one. I got to play that. That's a play for me. I'm adding it on. Very Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, Ohio <laughs> is the play in uh, – what, what, Play of the night, I, Ohio. What, <laughs> why am I throwing a – what is that, the Mac, Bill? Yeah, uh, Mac. Yeah. Come on, Greg. Yeah, okay. Let's get to Ohio the mailbag questions now. Shout out to uh, Old Man Who Bets. Uh, apologies for not getting to his questions last week, but we're getting all three this week and then uh, rolling out of here. His first question, uh, what part of the vetting process uh, is most con- most time-consuming? I'll go right first, um, and I'll say all of it, all of it, um, especially – well. Now I'm going to I'm going to take a step back. Depends on the sport, obviously, right? You know, there's only so many games in the professional leagues with only being 30 or 32 teams whatever. So on any given night, you know, there's only 15 games and realistically every team doesn't play. So there's only about you know, say on average every night anywhere from 5 to 10 games. Real easy in the professional leagues. Um personally, I don't know if you guys notice or track any of my plays whatnot. I hope you do, but I don't love playing big spreads. I don't love playing minus 12, minus 13, minus 14. Simply put, because not that that team isn't that many points better. It's just like in an NBA game, like, you know, and like I said, a win is a win. So they don't care about the spread. They're not playing for the spread. Now, yeah, of course, the Bucks. you know, we've seen them cover those double-digit spreads all the time. It went by 20-25. But at the end of the day, a win not is a win. Not last night, though. They were not too busy last- looking ahead of Toronto. You know, exactly, not last night. So I, so I personally just don't – I maybe even enjoy is the better word. Betting on a team to blow out a team, I yeah. just prefer to find the games where spreads are, are, are more so like this team's going to win. Now, even if that's minus three and a half, in my mind – I'm sometimes like, you know, obviously I'm not going to sit here and say I'm foolish that teams don't win by one, two, or three all the time. But at the same time, I look at it as if I can get a team to win by one or two possessions, that's pretty much them kind of just winning the game in my mind. And those are the games that I immediately put my eyes on first. Yeah, I'll agree with what you said, Matt, about the big, big lines. Just a rule of thumb, I don't like laying double digits because – what that does then is you're immediately putting your interests in a different lane than the team's interests who you're betting on. You mentioned the Bucks. 
Yes, they have been covering these numbers, but at the end of the day, the Bucks just want to win the game. Like that's all that they like. They won that game last night in Washington, and yeah, Bill's right. They could have been looking to head to Toronto, but and no one will remember that in in, in four days, except for the person who bet on Milwaukee right. minus whatever they were. Yeah, so right, exactly. Like the Bucks don't care how much they win by none of these favorites do, and that therefore, like late in the game, there's a reason why you know on. Scott Van Pelt, bad beats. So often it's, you know, a, a, a double digit or like last, there's a, the uh, South Florida kid goes straight down the floor against, uh, I believe it was Houston and mm-hmm. just flies to, Bill, you saw that? Yeah, we, we, we had a play on that. We were loving it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he flies right in. And obviously Houston's not playing any defense because they have the game won. So you can get those covers with the dog, but you're going to lose them every time with the favorite. So I don't like those big numbers because once the favorite has the game in the bag, then you're in the significant to some part of the game where the final minute is right on the you know 11-point line. So uh, I agree with you there. As far as what part of the betting process is most time-consuming for me, um, it's probably trying to best value injuries, trades, like transactions, changes to rosters. Like, how much is this guy worth? Like, when he's out, does, is there, like, an effect that isn't put into his stats? Like, that's a very difficult thing to do. And, like, I actually lost on this last night in the NHL. The Ottawa Senators just had a fire sale. Like, obviously, they were a bad team. They were selling off a ton of pieces. And the Columbus Blue Jackets were a pretty low-scoring team anyway. So I kind of thought, all right, I'm going to take the under in this game. And the game ended up going over the total 4-3 Columbus win in overtime. Like, certain, like, transactions and how's a team going to respond after we mentioned Tyree Halliburton for Iowa State. Like, those can be difficult things for me to uh, kind of fully grasp. So that would probably be my answer to that. Yeah, just to kind of touch on a little bit what both of you guys were saying, especially when it comes to NBA, right? Like we mentioned before how fatigue plays a big factor. For the first time, we're starting to see all this load management stuff. Well, when these teams are big, you know, their coaches aren't stupid. Strength and conditioning coaches that are there aren't stupid. They're saying, this game's in hand. Get these guys out. You know, we need to keep them fresh for the next game. Um, And then when you flip it, you're you're talking about teams that are, you know, double-digit dogs. And their, their stars are coming out, and these guys that are coming in the game for them have something to really, really prove. Like, we want to come out here, we want to make a statement because we want to be able to stay on a roster or get moved somewhere else. So, yeah, I don't like playing those big numbers at all. But for, for the most time-consuming for me, especially when it comes to college basketball because there's so many games typically, it's really, really diving into all the trends. Like, Brad, you touched on it earlier about how sometimes they can be deceiving. Like, with, with there being so many games played – um, for college, like you almost want to cut off the, the beginning portion of their season because they're not the same team sure. going forward oh, right. towards the end. And, and that you was know, also so, my point when I was looking at the SMU numbers earlier. Yeah. Like I was like, damn, they're fourteen and one straight up, but they got six ATS losses at home. Like what happened? And then, like you said, I saw like, oh, the first three home games they were fifteen, twenty point chalk and didn't cover in any of them. Right. So for me, that's like the biggest portion of when I'm handicapping, like what I really need to dive into with the trends. Because the rest of the stuff for me, and we'll touch on it, I'm sure, to answer some of these other questions that he had, um, that's definitely the one that takes me the most time to get through, sure. for sure. And so let's get to his next question, and it's, how do you sort through Saturday college basketball slates effectively when there are 100-plus games? Matt, you go first. So how I personally do it, right, is I break it down. I hit the big conferences first, and maybe this isn't the best way, but I hit the big conferences 
Um, why? Because on Saturday, I actually find that when everyone's playing, that typically even those big, you know, more well-known teams, you can find edges on a Saturday when you have a hundred plus games. And and personally, you know, I just know those teams better, and and I I just you know. I, I just flat out enjoy, you know, betting games like that better than betting, you know, two crappy teams or two unknown teams. I just feel like there's a little more um, volatility with the with the smaller schools, with the schools that have players that, you know, definitely aren't going to be NBA pros, right? Remember, like, like, like a lot of these schools, right, you go, like, I don't like like in Ohio. You're going to play basketball there. Does anyone who goes to play basketball in Ohio really have aspirations of getting to the NBA? Like, I mean, I'm not going to say that they don't, but I think they kind of know where they sit. You know, they're a Division One mid-major basketball player, and you know they understand that they're not getting to the NBA. So I kind of like to focus on the better players that I feel like are more consistent because I feel like that's the big part about college basketball is that. There, the consistency is just tremendously different than the NBA, obviously, because they're not pros. Um, so I look at those teams first, and pretty much, you know, in the simplest way possible, if I find what I believe is enough plays between those big conferences or those big, well-known teams, then I'll just roll with it. I won't even look at the smaller conferences and the smaller teams. I'm, I'm the exact opposite. Uh, you couldn't tell on my plays today, you know, uh, with Bowling Green and in Ohio, I love to look at these low mid-major teams um, for the for the reason you're saying that you know you look at the big conference teams because these guys are looking to go to the NBA. To me, those players are the most volatile players in the in in the nation because you never know what their mindset's going to be. Yeah, I'm going to North Carolina. I have pride for my school, but I really want to get mine. You know, I got scouts looking at me, and I don't care if I lose the game by five points. If I if I drop 25 and 10, that's going to raise my draft stock up. These kids in Ohio and and Bowling Green and Kent oh, State. Wait, Bill, like, is that really how it works? Marcus Howard's not going to be a number one pick. I mean, a, a first round pick. I come on. I think they draft a lot these days off of potential athleticism. You know sure. what they see. I I don't think it's really all just about the stats you put up. It's really about the fit and the potential. So I kind of seem to disagree. I'm not drafting Marcus Howard in the first. If his life defense, twenty five points matter. He can't play in the NBA. He's too small. Okay, you probably said the same thing about Trey Young a couple years ago, but we won't go there. Um, so, Trey like said, special, I, hey, if, if Marcus Howard is going to be a special, I mean, look, Trey Young is a special player. He is mm-hmm. a, 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 the closest we've seen to Steph Curry since Steph Curry. So if Marcus right. Howard is going to be a generational talent like Trey Young, I mean, caps off. But I mean, the odds are truly against them, just like it was against Trey Young. But look at him; he's balling. I, I feel like every year in the NFL and the NBA, uh, if you had a draft bingo card, generational talent would be the first yes. thing that I would mark off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, yeah, that's one of those terms that just gets thrown out way, like way too. Especially now, if you guys saw the Joe Burrow stuff yesterday with his hand size, yeah. like. Ridiculous. Different. It's that season, you know, where those terms just get thrown out and, and generally. I, I, I'm not throwing out that term about about Trey Young and Steph Curry right there. Please, let's not. If Steph Curry changed the game and and, and Trey Young has, it seems like he's the he's the closest to Steph Curry since Steph Curry. I, I think we can all agree. Right. There. I'll so, quickly then, chime in here and say, um, I think, and this my answer here is actually going to tie into the last question. I think that when. If you bet every day, obviously there's going to be certain days that there aren't as many games, and so you might pick up a little nugget about an Ivy League. 
or about a Summit League team or about a MAC team, whoever it might be, you know, because sometimes Mondays and Fridays can be the, the slower days during the week, and then you see those teams later in the year on a weekend and yada, yada, yada. Also, I mentioned uh, with Bill's Bowling Green play earlier on this pod that in those smaller leagues, you do sometimes need to just think about, well, who's going to win the league? And because it's only going to be a one-bid NCAA tournament league, which, which means that you probably want to play the teams that are towards the top a little bit more because mm-hmm. there's, I think, a wider variance between the top right. and bottom of those, you know, smaller, major, you know, mid-major conferences. So I think, uh, you know, if I'm taking, like we talked about Ole Miss, you know, they're pretty far down in the SEC. I'm going to feel better about taking a team towards the bottom in a power league than a team right. towards the bottom in the, in, in, you know, in the MAC because what do we do? We really know that that team's floor. Like they might be a truly horrible team, you know, if they're if they're that bad in that conference. And conversely, on the flip side, and this speaks more to the NCAA tournament. When we talk about the teams at the top of those mid-major leagues, I don't think we truly know those teams' ceilings either because we haven't seen them against the power leagues. You know, we haven't seen the, you know, Summit League team, you know, make or, you know, play the power leagues. And so I think that is why this tournament is so great and why we see the Loyola Chicago's and the George Masons because they're getting their first chance against the power conferences and sometimes those teams belong in the power conferences. Some Other years they don't, so... Right. And, 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 and the playoff at Olympic, Craig, you, you start, we've started to see, right, in the last like maybe 10 years, 5 to 10 years, those mid-majors, the gap is just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. We've finally seen a 16 right. seed beat a 1 seed because those kids that are there, for the most part, are there for four years. And I cannot put more emphasis on how big of a factor that plays in college yeah, basketball. These exactly. guys that have been together where, like I was mentioning, when you have these top teams like at UNC that have guys there that are one and done – like, you don't know what you're going to get throughout the season because they're not used to playing with each other. These right. guys have been playing with each other for years and years right. and years. That's why a team like Villanova is so, so good because these kids, they're not one and done there. They're staying there. They're top-level talent. But, but and that's also why a so team like Villanova this year when they're completely turning over their roster is, like, a little difficult to handicap because it's the same coach. And so, like, we know that, like, Jay Wright normally is going to get his guys to play their best in March. But how good is this group? I don't think we know yet. So, I think – there's, there's a bit of a double-edged sword there. But let's wrap things up uh, with the last question. Do you prefer nights of a lot of games in theory, more areas to find an edge, or small slates where you can go deep on the 10 games? Uh, I actually like the smaller slates better because I do like going a little deeper, uh, and, and I think that it in turn makes me better for the bigger slates. Like I was saying, like if I have a small rotation, I can look more into all the teams, and in some cases it might be, you know, mid or low major schools that are playing that night that make up the small rotation. So then moving forward, I'm going to be able to say when those teams do pop up on a bigger slate, oh, I looked at this team a little deeper a couple weeks ago. Here's what I remember. So I think it builds upon itself when you have a small slate. You can use the information that you dug a little deeper on to then better yourself for the bigger slate. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I I prefer um, I personally prefer a smaller slate as well. I feel like on the bigger slates, I sometimes find myself still trying to work with myself to not force certain plays um, and to not have too many plays. Right with a big slate, there's obviously. Uh, an opportunity to have more plays, a lot of things you like, so it's harder to cut down, right? When you only have 10 games, you might only like two. 
And so I prefer a smaller slate just for me personally because that means the slate's already cut down. So my number of plays are already cut down. That's something that I've always struggled with with the number of plays. However, on the flip side, there is value, like we said, to a huge slate because then, you know, you might be able to find some more value or there might be some more games to find more value in in general. So I think it goes both ways of what you can say um, how to do a huge slate and a small slate. I prefer, to answer the question, I prefer a small slate. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Smaller slate to me is probably more preferred. Um, but I, I do feel like I sometimes will force action with the smaller slates. Kind of opposite of what you're saying, Matt, because because I really don't have that many options, right? So if I only have 10 college basketball games on a slate, and I really like two, but I don't want to just give out two plays. I'd like to give out like five to six. Sometimes I'll find myself starting to force it. We're on a big slate. I don't need to force it. Like right out of the gate, I'm going to just knock off half the slate. I don't need to look at those. I'll cut it down myself where I don't feel like I'm really forcing all those plays. Um, But the other thing that I kind of do like about the bigger slates, especially with college basketball on Saturdays and Sundays, there's going to be more action the more casual betters are going to be betting on the weekends, right? Because they can pay attention to it. Um, so for me, because I'm a big reverse line movement guy, those things factor in a little bit more, especially in the big games. And most of those big games tend to be on the weekend. So as much as I like the smaller slate, because I can dive more deeper into all that information, the bigger slate sometimes can be um, really, really beneficial. Well, there you have it. That yeah, is- I'm going to time one, one just to get the big slate. I agree with you. It's easy to knock off half or, or a bunch. It's easy to knock off the games, but still, even like a slate tonight, you knock off half and you're left with half. That's still a lot of games, right? Like, and, and so yeah. one thing I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, obviously when value presents itself, sure, I'm trying to keep my plays more in the three to ten range. I think that is a sweet spot for plays for what the people want. For winning purpose, so I'm trying to keep myself in that range. And you know, we're only talking about college basketball, right? So, so I prefer the smaller slate in college basketball because then I can dip into NBA and NHL. When I have a Saturday college basketball slate, I find myself only playing and looking at college basketball and just turning my focus there because there's so many games there. So, if I have a smaller college basketball slate, that can make let me turn my focus to the NBA and to the NHL. However, like I said, I I only prefer betting on teams in the NBA to win games because at this point in the NBA season, it's really tough, you know, even tonight to bet the Nuggets minus 12 and a half. Like, sure, I think the Nuggets are going to win at home by to the Pistons. Are they going to win by 15 or are they going to win by six? I, I you know, I, I don't really have an opinion or too much data to back that up. Now, if you want to come and tell me, oh, the Nuggets are going to win by, sure, I, I'll, I'll support you and your reasoning. But at the end of the day, it's an NBA game and, and a win by seven counts as the same in the standings as a win by 20. There you have it. That is our mailbag this week. Thanks to our uh, listeners who send in those questions. Again, old man who bets, apologize to you for not getting to them last week, but we covered all your Appreciate questions. Appreciate the comments. This week. Uh, Bill, Matt, always fun. We'll talk again. Best of luck, gentlemen. No no jinx text tonight, boys. <laughs> there we go. Good one. Everybody, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk go again. Auburn Tigers, go. And, of course, Please play responsibly. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.